Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. These are the teachings from our Sunday gatherings. We are supported by listeners like you who find value in the mission of discipleship. If you'd like to give financially, check out our website, our Instagram, or our Facebook for the giving tab. And thank you for partnering with us and keeping the mission alive. Grace and peace to you. As many of you know, um, or if you're new with us, we, we use the lectionary as our teaching schedule. And so it has passages. If you um, click on the link that I threw in the notes, you can kind of see all the passages that uh, we preach on. Um, so you already know what we're going to be preaching on in whatever the rest of the year. Uh, you know where we're going. Um, but what we're going through right now is 1 Corinthians, and then it's also taken us through the Gospel of Mark. That's, it's the year of Mark, basically, and it does a gospel every year. So if you stick with the lectionary for four years, you've been through the Gospels, and um, we don't necessarily preach all of them because we don't have time for all of it, but we'll take those and, uh, and preach from them. And so that's where we're at today. We're in 1 Corinthians 9, and it's verses 16 through 23. And I'm going to read that little passage because it definitely piggybacks on what we were talking about last week. Um, and then we're also going to be in Mark at some point uh, in the message. Uh, but it's all in the, in the notes if you want to track with us on that. Um, so let me, um, let me start out. Starting in verse 16. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He's adamant that the gospel needs to go out, that it needs to be preached, it needs to be spoken about. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. When this is, when, what then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not to make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. It goes on, Paul, use of his freedom. There's a few passages before this. If you want to read the whole thing on your own, um, him talking about being a preacher, being a pastor, being someone who communicates the gospel and getting a salary from it, basically, or doing it for free out of joy. And so we're going to talk about freely sharing the gospel. Um, and he says, continues on, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave or a servant to everyone. To win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law, though I am free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. And this is kind of the crux of it. He says, to the weak, I become the weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So there's clearly a connection to being a blessing and sharing the gospel. And that's what I want to talk about today and um, what it means to um, share the gospel, to reach out, to share it with other people, to evangelize, if that's a word that you're familiar with. Um, I'll probably use some different verbiage for that, but um, we're going to kind of unpack it a little bit and just really kind of see what, what, what Paul does here and in, in his, his heart behind how he shares the gospel and the purpose of it. Because it is one of those things that if you've been around the church, you, it might be a, a cringe word for you, um, but it might be a, a really good thing as we seek 
his heart. Um, so I'm titling this Read the Room because what I think Paul does here is he reads the room really well. Because he says, he basically says, I'm becoming all things to all people. And that might sound like something where you're like, so is he just like chameleon blending in with everybody everywhere and just kind of like trying to fit in in order to like potentially share Jesus? Yes and no. Um, he reads the room. He reads what's going on. And maybe you've heard that term, read the room. Maybe you understand what that's like. Maybe you're familiar with it. Um, we're trying to teach our kids that all the time. Um, <laughs> Sometimes they just say stuff like off the wall and you're like, read the room. Like, what's going on? Like, pay attention a little more to what's going on. Katie's back there laughing because she's like, uh, I just never learn. Um, but read the room, definition, if you need it, um, to be or become aware of the opinions and attitudes of a group of people that you are talking to. So being aware of your audience, being aware of what's going on. Um, understanding the nuances, the concerns, the things that weigh heavy, and, and being in tune with it, right? Um, it doesn't mean that Paul is agreeing with everything that's happening in the room, um, but he's okay with it. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And so reading the room is an awareness of what's going on around you. Um, it's being in tune with where people might be at. Um, it's being in tune with different groups, because he talks about different groups, right? He talks about the Jews, he talks about Gentiles, he talks about weak. Um, people around him come from all different walks of life, and so he's recognizing that he, as he preaches the gospel, as he shares Jesus with people, he has to be in tune with that and being aware of it. And um, some people just aren't. They don't, they don't know how to read the room when it comes to this. And I think I've been at the place, and I still am working on that. It's a process of learning that, um, of what it looks like to bring the gospel into different contexts. And so um, in this context, Paul is willing to lay aside any of his, um, I guess, lay aside his uh, concerns, his beliefs, those kind of things, not in a way where he's disregarding what he believes and where his heart is, but willing to recognize that somebody might disagree with what he believes in, and that's okay, right? And this is a really difficult thing in our culture because what I've sensed that, I don't know if it's just been recent, but it's like, if you have a difference of opinion, you can't be near me. That's kind of the vibe that I start to get with people, and Christians do it, everybody does it. Every group does it in some way, right? Um, every click that you would see that, that exists around us. And it, and it ends up being this thing where it's like, well, if you don't believe what I believe, then you can't be near me and I'm not hanging out with you and clearly you're the enemy, right? Um, I, I don't think that's the best option, right? And what I see Paul doing here is he's, he's got this awareness of where he comes from as well as that others come from a different perspective, a different point of view. And that there has to be a unique posture that goes into that in order to be loving, in order to be in a conversation with people that think differently than him. And so he's prioritizing Christ in that. He's prioritizing the gospel. And when we talk about the gospel, we're going to unpack that a little bit here in a little bit. But um, it's loving people. It's recognizing that God wants to do something in the middle of that. And he talks about saving, and we're going to talk about that too. So um, the problem, I think, happens is when people prioritize the wrong things. And maybe you've been around the church for a while and you've seen how the church has used this passage, maybe, like where it says, by all means, save some. It's one of those things that I've heard thrown around from pastors when I went to 
um, school and um, different mentors that I had that would use this quite often. It was like, by all means, save some. You know, I like, can just do whatever it takes. And I've seen this done really poorly. And maybe you have, and I'm going to like paint some pictures of it um, to hopefully kind of set the stage of why this is a really important conversation, okay? So the example that I'm going to give is um, I read about this church in Texas that attracted 23,000 people to, people to its Easter service, okay? Um, used advertising and said that they're going to give away 16 cars, millions in prizes, um, included bicycles, furniture, flat screen TVs, 15,000 gift cards um, and envelopes stuffed in the seats. Um, and then it said, um, whew, what else was there? Um, and then the pastor justified it by saying, essentially, the, like, by all means, save some, um, but saying that he gave them a chance to offer a free gift of heaven to those who come. And he claims that thousands received Christ. And I'm like, so thousands received Christ, but you lured them in with all that I just listed, right? Um, when I did youth ministry, there was a phrase that was thrown around a lot that it says, win them to pizza and you have to buy a lot of pizza. And it's this idea that like our posture as churches and what we've created in kind of Western culture, and this isn't just an American thing, it's a Western thing. It's like a... Um, kind of like a consumeristic thing of how do we share the gospel in a way that's effective and what people have done and what the church has done, big C, like I've seen, um, and not everyone's doing this. I know these are blanket statements, but maybe you've experienced this, that it becomes this thing of like buying people for the gospel. And it's like convincing people like, well, just come in by all means, like come in and check this out and then we can just drop in some Jesus and hopefully you'll love it. But do you love the car that you want or do you love Jesus, right? Like, there's something in there. And I know these are ex that's an extreme example, but um, as a church, you, I think we have to pray through these things. And I think what Paul is starting to point to is um, really the heartbeat behind, like, by all means, do whatever it takes to save people. Um, that there's a posture there that he has as we read scripture that's a little bit different. And so the solution that I see here. Um, is that as believers, there has to be um, a heart for others and recognizing our role, I think, in the body of Christ and what that looks like to really serve and love people. Um, I have become all things to all people so that by all, mean, all possible means, I might save some, is what Paul says. And what I see here is a posture that he desires to love people to save them is a thing that you might, it might be another thing that's cringeworthy to you where you're like, you're saving people? I thought God does the work, right? But what he recognizes is that he's there to offer an invitation that, I'm gonna use the example later, and maybe I'll just do it, you say it now, but like the idea of people drowning and seeing someone drowning, I don't know if you guys, have you ever seen somebody drowning? Have you guys ever watched that happen? Not like die drowning, but like have you seen someone struggling and like almost drowning? They're doing everything, everything they possible can, possibly can to try and stay alive, right? And even to the point of they say that like if you're trying to help someone who's drowning, you have to be careful because they'll pull you down, right? They'll do everything they can. They'll even bring other people down while they're drowning if the people don't understand how to like really help that person. 
And so there's like, when we talk about saving and when, when Paul talks about this, it comes out of a heart of seeing how destructive this world can be, how destructive evil can be in our lives. And you can find however way you want to say that. But I've experienced that in my life where I was drowning and people came alongside me to try and help. And I was like, no, I don't need your help. And then recognize that, no, they were trying to help. They were trying to actually like point me to something that like helped me thrive in life and point me to Jesus. And, and I didn't want it. Right. And so there's just like, when we, when Paul talks about saving, he talks about a, a deep heart concern for helping people experience Jesus in this life to the full, not not something that's like a, a faux God, uh, an alternative, something that just makes you feel better for like a little while. Um, he's talking about like, I want, I want you to experience life to the full, this thing that I've experienced in Jesus. And he's sold out on the fact that this is God who created you, who loves you deeply, that wants to transform life from the inside out and no longer be caught up in the things that really, that drown us, that bring us down, Right. And, um, and so how we go about that is pretty key. And so what Paul does is he reads the room. He recognizes that um, he, he isn't going to be offended by other people in the room, right? Because obviously he could have been like, well, what do you believe? Like, you believe different than me. I'm not hanging out with you. I'm not spending any time with you. And I read this quote this week that says, the level of our offendability often reveals the level of our maturity, that if we're easily offended by the people around us that believe different than us, that may have a different approach to life and how things are, um, your maturity, your ability to handle that and be close to people and in relationship to people and not be offended by their beliefs, that they're different than your beliefs, um, there's a maturity there. And I'm not like pointing fingers and be like, oh, you're immature. I'm just saying like, we all have a, a... I think a bar that we're shooting for, a goal that we're shooting for of maturity that we can be in relationship with people that have different beliefs and be in conversation and not lose our minds, right? Um, there has to be a sensitivity to that or we're not just caving in and like buying cars to try and convince people to love us, right? Like there's a, there's a whole spectrum to this. Um, but that maturity is so key. And, and, I, and I share the, the whole idea of church because really that's wrapped up into how we, we approach what we call sharing the truth and the love of Jesus with other people. Um, our culture has messed it up, and it's, it's ironic that this week, I don't know if you guys follow this comedian that's local here in Oceanside. His name's Jonathan Freeman. Um, hilarious. He's a surfer. Um, I'd say look him up on Instagram after we're done. Um, check out this week. So he roasts people, different groups all the time. Uh, this week, he, it was Roast the Mega Church. And so his whole thing was just like roasting the church for all the hypocritical things it does. And I was like, oh, this is so timely. Like, how does this happen when I'm preaching this, this message on what does it look like to share the gospel? And, um, and so he points out all kinds of stuff. And I was reminded about preachers and sneakers where there's like a full Instagram account dedicated to like guys who wear like $1,000 shoes and $5,000 sweaters, you know, as preachers. And, um, and then he goes into like Joel Osteen, who admittedly, says that he doesn't want to offend people in his message that admittedly will say, I don't believe it's his, he says, I don't believe it's my job to teach on the difficult truths of scripture, that his job is to make it sound really good and sugarcoat it. And he says, I leave that for other people to offend people is not his job. And I was like, well, scripture says a lot of stuff that might be offensive to people, but you got to read the room. You got to understand that there's going to be things that you have to say at some point 
that if someone's drowning, just saying, hey, everything's cool, have fun, like just enjoy it. Like it's eventually you gotta have some truth about, hey, we gotta get you out of the water. Like this isn't working. Um, there's uh, a sense that there are pastors that are living lavish lifestyles that have no different visual aspect than some influencer that we see in our culture and massive mansions, money spent on things that are ridiculous, massive buildings, budgets that go to massive stages and lights and sound systems and all those things that we could say, yeah, by all means, save some. But at some point, I, we have to question, why is this a, the butt of the joke for a lot of people? Why are a lot of people looking in on the church and going, dude, what are you doing for the city? Like, where did that money go, you know? Um, there's a balance in it. You could, we could judge it all day and say, which one's best? What's the best approach? The list of hypocritical things we see in the church, you could probably add to my list, right? We could sit here and spend a lot of time talking about it. But what I see is if somebody has a servant attitude, if their approach is the way that Paul talks about it, where he's like, sure, I get my, I get bills paid from some churches that help support me, but some of it, like, I just want to do it for the sake of the gospel because I love just sharing the gospel and loving people. Like, so I'm not going to, like, ask for money. And so he gets into that. You can talk about it. But he talks about his rights as, as an apostle, as a preacher, as someone who's sharing the gospel. He says, I'm a servant of Jesus. Like, I just want to love people. He says, I want to do whatever it takes to share this beautiful message that you see all the but one of the disciples die for. I don't think you would die for something that you just kind of lightly believe in. And what you see is a commitment, like a deep heart commitment that this is truly the way of life. And this is what I'm like, I resonate with. And when I see this and why I think I even sit up here on a Sunday, like I love what Jesus does in my life. And I want to share that so badly with others that they experience that that genuine relationship that begins to transform our lives. And so Paul understands that and he sees it and he's like, I just, I'm going to lay down my rights, my personal rights to think that I deserve anything. He's like, no, I just want to share this with people. He genuinely wants to reach out and love people with it. And so it goes on. Um, I want to read Mark and what uh, the lectionary points out as what you might think is maybe disconnected this passage, but it completely relates. So I want to read this and then we'll, we'll pull it apart. So as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So they went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. Miraculous things that happened around Jesus. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. And the whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. And he drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And it goes on. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when he found them, he explained, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. 
So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So what we have here is miraculous acts of Jesus, healing, driving out demons. Essentially, when I talked about people drowning, what he's doing is like lifting them out of that and bringing them to life, right? He's saving people from drowning. He's helping healing, delivering people in ways that probably transform them forever and they want to go share that and talk about it with others. And so what Jesus does is Jesus reads the room. He recognizes how he needs to bring life in those scenarios. And what's interesting is he brought healing where it was needed, ran out evil spirits where it was needed. But then at some point, you hear people where it says, where the, the disciples go look for him. He says, everyone is looking for you. Everyone's looking for you. We got to keep doing this. Like, we could make this thing massive right here, right now, and Jesus is gone. And he's like, no, we got to move on, right? Like, that was his moment to capitalize and make it bigger, more massive, get it huge, rally the crowds, get them all fired up, and he's like, no. And he actually goes to a solitary place and has quiet. Like, there's some balance to what he does. He reads the room, he recognizes there's places where he needs to serve, and then there's also times where he needs to step away from it where he needs to be filled up. He needs to connect with the Father, right? And I love just the, the idea that what Jesus is doing there is he's, he's saving, but he's also recognizing that there's a, a balance that needs to take place. And um, this is just kind of like a side note that that passage is in there, but I think it's key to when, it, when we talk about, I think, sharing the good news, loving people, there has to be a little moment where we are also filled as well, that we recognize I can't pour out of an empty cup, so to speak. If my life is not filled with Christ and that I don't have that love that Paul's clearly demonstrating here, if I don't have that love built up in me, then I can't give that out to others. And so I, I saw this visual this week that I want to share with you guys that I sketched up real quick. Um, but living in the present moment I think allows us to be really grounded in conversations with people that may disagree with you um, or have a difference of opinion or maybe struggling with something or somewhere where you need to give of your life and be present um, and fully in it. It's being robbed by the pace of life that we have and the tech distractions that we have. And I saw this and it's constantly pushing in on the present moment constantly. Like we fight this battle more than any generation. I think it's like the tech distraction constantly pushes on us to not be in this moment fully present, fully aware of how God might be working, fully aware of how God might use us to speak into a relationship. Um, I notice this constantly where I'm like, it's oh, so distracted that I don't have this sense of fully being present and at peace, and, and okay with what's happening in that moment. Sure, we're going to have demands on us, right? There'll be things that'll happen that are going to pull us in different directions, but if we continually just increase the pace of life and increase the amount of tech distractions that we have, there's very little room for God to work, I think. And I know this is a little bit of a tangent to really the topic that we're talking about, but I think it pertains. I think that's like the Holy Spirit, God throwing that one in there and Mark that just to say like, Jesus got away. If Jesus needed to get away in a solitary place, I think we need moments of that. And we need to be 
reminded of that. And so that's just my encouragement um, for whatever it's worth and if you need that. Um, but then um, to kind of like hone this in, I want to I share a little bit real quick on this idea when we talk about Jesus, uh, Jesus reading the room and recognizing how he serves and, and shares the gospel, but then also how Paul uh, says, by all means, I'm just going to, I want to do whatever it takes to save people. Um, I think what it requires in us as we try to get kind of more of a practical place with the, this message is um, I've, I've just been really intrigued with this idea of explicit knowledge versus implicit knowledge. And let me unpack that for a second. It's like, we might have really impeccable knowledge or understanding of scripture, but if our past pain, trauma, whatever's going on in us um, is still there and we're not able to really live it out, it's just head knowledge. So the best way to explain that is like, I can know a lot about surfing, but until I actually go surfing, right, and live it out and get, yeah, yeah, he's like, yeah know a lot about knowledge, like what's going on in the surf world, like surfboards, how my surfboard works, how my wetsuit works. I can keep going into all the head knowledge, all of that explicit knowledge. But until I get to this implicit knowledge where it's lived out in me, I don't get to actually like experience the fruit of it. Like I love surfing. I love that, uh, that whole world. It's totally good. Um, and being in the water and experiencing actual surfing is different than analyzing surfing, right? or fill in your own hobby or your own job or experience, you can have the head knowledge. But if we don't have the implicit, like, heartfelt, like, I experience this and I live out of it, it's kind of going to be pointless. And what we see Paul is, like, he's living out of it. It's not just like he's like, I know this stuff intellectually and we're going to talk about it. We should have some Bible studies about it. We should just, like, figure out how we should share the gospel more. We should talk about how the mega churches do it wrong and we do it right. Who's, who's in, who's out. He's like, I just want to have a heart for helping other people, loving people. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And he's like, by all means, I'm going to deepen my relationships with these different groups, these different people so that they might experience this true life in the gospel. And so, um, yeah, I've just been really wrestling with that this week of like having a really high view, um, I was listening to a podcast with John Mark Comer. I encourage you to listen. I can throw the link in there later this week. Um, but he says, we can have a high view of the Bible, um, but an unbiblical view of our soul. A really high view of Scripture. We can know all about Scripture and how we should convince somebody that Scripture is right. But if we haven't lived it out in our soul and really like internalized it, it's kind of pointless, and it's not going to be something that people will be sold on. They'll be like, you're just as stressed out as I am. How is that any different? Your life is just as big of a mess, and sure, we're all broken to some degree, but if what Jesus does doesn't save us, doesn't bring new life, then what's the point, right? And uh, yeah, so it, I think we have to really, we have to own it. Um, and going back to the surfing analogy, I... I would be very burnt out on surfing if I just analyzed it constantly and just talked about it forever and just did devotionals about surfing and how great it is. I have to live it out. We have to like get into it and really like just we have to internalize it and like live that out in, in the real, real world. And so um, the final line in that passage, the first passage we read is he says, now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be partaker of it with you, that I may experience its blessing. 
he talks about it being a blessing. That like as you see lives transformed, as you see God at work in and through us, that that transforms us and it transforms the world that we're in. And that's like, that's what energizes him. That's what he like works out of and flows out of. And so um, I want to share with a story, this analogy that I read this week. It says, uh, a woman desperately needed a kidney transplant. The outlook for her was not good unless a compatible donor could be found. Then came this break. The woman's brother offered to be the donor. His personal sacrifice seemed to provide the perfect solution. Their matching blood types made successful surgery almost certain. But then came this catch. The brother was willing to give the kidney as a gift, but he wanted $25,000 for the stress and the, the, the difficulty that would come from this, this situation, right? So the sister, deeply offended by the apparent profit motive, rejected the brother's terms and decided to take her chances in finding another donor. This story illustrates two spiritual principles that we see in 1 Corinthians 9 there, that we can be motivated in thinking that we're doing something nice, that we're doing something great, but if some other selfish motive gets involved, it can really ruin relationships. It can ruin how we live out the gospel, how we share the gospel, right? If we're just sharing the gospel so we get something in return or so that we somehow like can pat ourselves on the back as a church or as individuals, it loses it. It loses it. And you, everybody, we all like, as you hear that story, you go, seriously? How selfish is that? But how often are we in those shoes where we're like doing things? We're like, I'm going to do something nice for somebody and hopefully they'll recognize it. Ever thought that? We never say it, do we? But ever thought that? I've thought that. I'll do something nice and hopefully they'll recognize it and be nice to me or recognize that like I'm, I'm a really good person, you know? Um, that, I think that's kind of the undergirding of what Paul's doing. He's like, I don't do this for like the pat on the back. I don't do this for the pay is what he says, financial gain. I do this because I love people. And that's what we said as a church as well, to do that. Like we, we gather here, we come together to be a church because we love one another. And if there's a other motive, then it's a waste of time. We don't need to do it, right? But there's something so beautiful in the gospel and what Jesus does. And so I just, my encouragement would be to love genuinely and freely. Love the way that Paul does here, where he just says, I just want to preach the gospel and I want to share it with people because it's a blessing, because it's so beautiful to see Jesus at work in people's lives. It's, that's where it's at. That's what it's all about. And man, I, I just, I hope that as a church, we can continue to do that and that we can model what it looks like that. Um, it, but it starts at a personal level. Like we can't do that as a, organization. We do that individually. We do that as a collective that come together and love genuinely. That as we leave this place, because we're all going to walk through that gate and get in our cars and go into the rest of the week, you have opportunities to genuinely love people, freely love people with no strings attached, get nothing in return, not expect anything from them, to love them because truly like that's what the world wants to see. Someone who's drowning and struggling in the midst of their life, they don't want to see somebody who's like, hey, I'll help you out, but like when I get you out of the water, I want 25 grand, you know, or I want something else. I want, I want you to like return the favor in some way, 
right? No, it, that kills it. And that's what, that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is like, no, I just want to share the gospel. I want to continue to see people experience this. And, um, and so that's, that's our heart. And so I want to close with um, this prayer that comes from the lectionary. And it says, set us free, O God, from the chains of our sins and give us the liberty of that abundant life which you have made known to us in, the, in through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen? Amen.